Hey everyone, Tove here. A couple of quick notes. During this episode, we touched on which teams would be involved in a new league and how the conferences and divisions would be organized, but we didn't take time to discuss all the specifics. So if you're interested, stay tuned until after the credits and I'll lay out the league in greater detail. Also, we recorded this episode less than a week ago, but things are changing so quickly that in just a few days, there's been additional developments that would have changed several parts of our conversation. Most notably, the story that the College Football Playoff Board recently discussed on a Zoom call, the idea of major college football potentially being governed outside of the NCAA. Translation, leaving the NCAA and forming a new league. That's huge because that's probably the most important piece of the entire story. And that's not all. There's been other developments, and it'll be obvious when you listen that we weren't aware of them when we had our discussion. Okay, let's start the show. All right, let's begin. Ladies and gentlemen, I could not be more excited about my guest today. He's a true hero of mine. And when I say hero, I'm talking Lance Armstrong, Joey Chestnut, Robbie Knievel, true legends of our time. (laughs) This man in front of me has spent nearly 30 years in sports talk radio on one of the world's most listened to radio programs. And during that time, he's won more Marconi Awards than he's able to count. Please welcome back to the program, the one true muser, Craig Jr. Miller. Oh, that is quite an introduction. I don't think I've ever had one uh, with that much praise, so I really appreciate that. Well, I just remember the last time we sat down, I didn't put enough varies in front of it. Oh, okay. Yeah. I just said you were a very important guest. And I think I had my lawyer reach out to you and we threatened a lawsuit. That's right. So, you, yeah. you said you require at least three varies, <laughs> and so I really tried to up the ante this time. Yep. Okay, good. Well, good. thank you. Good to be here again. Yeah, well, I couldn't. I don't have enough words to say how thrilled I am that you were willing to do this. The first time we did this was about three years ago, and you were nice enough to listen to my absurd idea that I'd come up with in 2016 about how to fix college football. Since then, you've had a baby, there was a global pandemic, <laughs> and the entire sport of college football has been turned so upside down that our first conversation went from being a complete fantasy to a real possibility. Isn't that crazy? Yes. And every time a story, the baby is crazy enough and the pandemic is crazy enough. The college football story may be the craziest. Right. And every time a headline would pop up in the last three years, I would email you Mm -hmm. and I, or you would email me and I would say, it's happening. Yeah. Look at this. It's another step. Yeah. And that, and that's part of how I want to frame today's conversation is because back then it was it was just theory. It was just this this is what I think they should do, or this is what might happen. Or but it, it's so much has happened that I want to kind of um, point back to the things because now we have a lot more specifics because yep. it is happening, and so we'll kind of reference those things as we go along. Anyway, so all this has happened, so I figured it was fitting for us to sit down again. Yes. Okay, so today we're going to talk about how we got here and where it's all going, and I'm I'm going to try to make at the end, and and I. I uh, invite you to join me in making some more very specific predictions. Okay. And we'll try to get as specific as possible. And and just to quickly summarize, my original idea was that the best 32 college football programs should leave the NCAA, form their own professional league, structured and run, basically like the NFL, with the teams maintaining their existing brands and affiliations with the schools. Mm -hmm. And for more detail on that, people can go back to last week's episode of, of the podcast. The first thing I would note is that the original idea was 32 teams. We're now looking at 40, probably Big Ten, SEC, 20 each. Yes. So that number is is being moved up a little bit. Well, you've talked about this on your show, and we're actually going to get to that. Okay. Yeah, I'm going to address that in, later on in our conversation. So as we go throughout our discussion, I want people to keep in mind that this entire conversation around the evolution of college football falls into five buckets, in my opinion. And each one of these is the predecessor to what it will become when the Pro League is is finally established. Basically, what I'm going to do this is when you hear this thing, it really means this. Okay. So when you hear transfer portal, it really means free agency and player movement. Yes. When you hear NIL, that's all kinds of player compensation. Mm-hmm. Realignment means basically the future league structure. Mm-hmm. TV deal means league revenue, although they do have multiple revenue sources, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. And then maybe the most interesting, and this is the one that 
we had some conversation about too last time was collectives, I think could become the new team ownerships. Yes. Also to frame things a bit, how would you summarize the current state of college football as, as it exists today? A total mess. <laughs> you know, the, the games are still great mm-hmm. and the rivalries are still fun. And I think the college football playoff is really interesting kind of every year. We don't always get great games, but uh, it, it, it's great because it's so talked about. There are more conversation angles for college football, I think, than any other sport. And it's so quickly evolving that it's it's both fascinating and a complete mess. And it's it's on this fast track, too, that no other sport is on right now. And that it's it's all happening so amazingly quickly in a matter of 12 to 18 months with NIL and with realignment and with the new TV deals that it's the, the landscape I think we all thought would change eventually, maybe in a 10 to 15 year horizon. But it's it's like a 10 to 15 month time frame where it's where it's changed so much. So I think it's a total mess. Uh, I I think a lot of this you could have easily predicted because these kids weren't getting paid legally at least, and uh, and and there is a lot of dysfunction in college football, and there's a lot of the the haves not really wanting to carry the have-nots anymore, and so you could see this separation starting to form. But the one word that comes to mind right now is mess. Yeah, and I think the the level of turmoil that we're witnessing right now is evidence of how fast things are changing. Yeah. The faster things change in anything, the, the more the more messy it feels. Yes. Or the more turmoil you'll see. And it feels like everyone is scrambling. You know, even mm-hmm. the big schools are scrambling. USC and UCLA and Texas and Oklahoma. Everyone, if you've got some power, you're scrambling to make sure you use that power and get in the right conference or aligned with the right schools. And if you're if you don't have that power, you're also scrambling for your own survival. You're just trying to get into a viable league or or make yourself attractive enough to these bigger conferences. So everybody's in scramble mode. Yeah, and we'll we'll get into this later when we talk about predictions. I think everything is kind of a foregone conclusion. I think so too. I feel like the path is set. Yes. We're just watching it play out. And I'm not sure if everyone involved realizes that. Yeah. I think some people can't see the forest or the trees, and there's a few other people that are have a wider view that see where this is going, and it's kind of inevitable. Yeah. Okay, great. Thanks for that. Okay, so so people for people that haven't kept up with it, I want to review the timeline of events that have gotten us to this point. Again, please jump in with any comments that you have. And, and you've covered all of this as it happened uh, on your show, so I'd love your thoughts. So here's the timeline as as I understand it. Now, do you know the name Susan Peel? No. I hadn't heard her name either, but she, I don't know if she's still in the position, but she was the director of law policy and governance at the NCAA. And she was working on, a, on an early concept of how to deal with um, high school players that had made a commitment, wanted to change their commitment. Mm-hmm. And that's where the idea, she actually came up out of that idea, the idea of the transfer portal. Oh, really? Yes. I found a, an old article huh. where she's credited with, basically being the forerunner for the transfer portal. Interesting. Now, the transfer portal didn't debut until 2018, but her work started in 2011 on this on this high school player movement thing okay. and then it evolved into the transfer portal. So in in, 2000, in fall of 2019, NIL discussions start. The first batch of those laws went into effect in the summer of last year, 2021. And then a bunch of players started making endorsement deals. However, the history of NIL and player compensation goes as far back as 2007, and maybe even further back when, if you remember, players started complaining about uh, video games. Yep. And, and um, goes so back start- to Ed O'Bannon and, yeah, and all of that. Yeah. That's right. So that started in the mid aughts, and then there were a series of lawsuits, both individual and class action, mm-hmm. that brought us to that point today on NIL. That gives us free agency and compensation. So the third step is realignment. And so the same week that NIL goes into effect, the SEC unanimously votes to invite Texas and Oklahoma. That'll be official in the summer of 2025, if not sooner. And then that creates a domino effect. The ACC, Big Ten, and Pac-12 start talking about an alliance. 
That doesn't go anywhere. Mm -hmm. The story comes out that the Big 12 could add four new members by the end of this week, UCF, Houston, BYU, and Cincinnati. Uh, That becomes official. um, Well, that became official of June of this year. They're going to join. I think uh, they're going to join next summer. Mm-hmm. They move move into this year, and that's where th- it felt like things really accelerated. So, Dennis Dodd of CBS Sports does one of the first stories on collectives, which he calls the next evolution of NIL. And I'm not so sure that that's it, 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 that's true, and it's not true. I think that has more to do with future ownership than necessarily player compensation. Yep. Then in April, Big Twelve Commissioner Bob Bowlesby says he's going to step down, which he did. NCAA President Mark Emert. Emert, 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 steps, I think, Emert yeah. steps down a couple weeks later. Mm-hmm. So now you've got the head of the NCAA <laughs> and basically one of the head of the big Power Five conferences basically just waving the white flag. They don't want to put up with this anymore. They also kind of see where it's going. They want no part of it. Yep. A few days later, Clemson Tigers coach Dabo Sweeney, which you talked about this, says he thinks a complete blow up of the sport is is necessary. Yep. Around the same time, your source said that UCLA, UC, USC, Washington, and Oregon are actively uh, acting strangely, and there's rumors of two super conferences, the Big Ten and SEC. Mm-hmm. And that's probably, and this is just this back in April, just a few months ago. Before the USC-UCLA announcement. Yes, right. yes. So already, already the idea of these two super conferences was already arising. That's just a few months ago. Then in May, just a month later, talks begin about cracking down on collectives. Uh, by this time, multiple groups associated with multiple programs have organized these. Then in June, okay, so this is where the insanity really breaks out. And this is leading into the week of 4th of July, which I rem- you remember, this is just a, a, a couple months ago, yep. and you were heading out, out of town for vacation. Yeah. So USC, UCLA of the Pac-12 announced they are joining the Big Ten in 2024. That was the biggest... That was the biggest story, I think even bigger than OU and Texas going to the SEC, because people yes. had talked about those two schools going to the SEC for a while, and it seemed a little more natural geographically. Mm-hmm. And But USC and UCLA going to the Big Ten, I remember the first time I heard that possibility, I just it didn't make any sense to me. And I think we're all, we've been brought up to just think about colleges in terms of regions. That's right. But... This made it a business thing because this was the Big Ten saying, we want the New York, Chicago, and L.A. markets, and we don't care if they're spread 3,000 miles apart. We want that money. Yeah, the the big picture strategy was beginning to be revealed. Yes. Yeah, I would agree. Okay, so leading into the 4th of July. So all of this happened on the same day on July 5th. So your sources told you that the Big 12 and Pac-12 could merge, or they could try to poach each other. Mm -hmm. We'll put a pin in that. News comes out that the Big 12 is in deep discussions to add up to six Pac-12 teams, Arizona, Arizona State, Colorado, and Utah, and Oregon and Washington were mentioned in that conversation. Rumors that Washington, Oregon, Cal, and Stanford are being targeted by the Big 10, and conversations around Notre Dame begin. All of that happened in one day. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Then just also that week, I've never heard of this guy or this source, but Braden Keith from Swim Swam said that North Carolina, Florida State, Clemson, and Virginia are in negotiations with the SEC and that ESPN is trying to avoid the TV deal with the ACC, Mm -hmm. which I couldn't find any other sources about that specific rumor. Although there's lots of speculation about that. Yeah, I don't know if there was anything to that, but it wouldn't surprise me. And I, I think that... Every ACC team, we talked about this this morning on our show, I think every ACC team, and they're all locked in to 2036, their grant of rights expires in 2036, 14 years down the road. Right. They're now looking at all the money the Big Ten schools are getting and the SEC schools are already getting and about to get a lot more. I don't think there's any way that conference holds it together until 2036. Well, and, and we'll and, talk about the TV deal here in just a minute. Yeah, and I'd like to know, I don't specifically know the buyout for these schools to get out of the ACC, but they, they have to already be exploring it, especially ones that could join the SEC or the Big Ten. I would agree. So, so then it was slightly calm for just a couple of weeks, and then it picks back <laughs> up again. Because on the 18th, new Big 12 commissioner Brett Yormark announces that at the Big 12 Media Day that he's looking to to expand, not merge. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so basically, guns are drawn. Big and, 12 was flexing their muscles at the Pac-12, who was flexing back. That's right. And so talks with the Pac-12, understandably, officially break down the next day. 
The same day, SEC Commissioner Greg Sankey says he's content with realignment and declares openly that the SEC is indeed a super league. Mm-hmm. Now they're not hiding anything. Right. A couple of days later, in response to rumors, ACC Commissioner Jim Phillips says he's optimistic about the future, saying there's no better conference in the country. <laughs> Clearly. I would disagree with that. <laughs> well, and we heard Bob, Bob, Bowlesley, Bob Bowlesby over the last few years make similar yes. comments as, yes. as his conference could be disintegrating. Mm-hmm. And then he quit. On the 26th of July, the Big Ten Commissioner says there is more expansion possible. And then backtracking just a bit, the following happened just a few weeks ago between mid-July and mid-August. And honestly, we could have a sit-down every week probably yeah. on this topic because it's yes. changing constantly. Yes. It changed this morning right. before I showed up. I listened to you talk <laughs> what you just talked about. But, but between mid-July and mid-August, transfer portal windows are endorsed by Division One Council and set for final NCAA approval. Ohio State AD Gene Smith says you can't ignore talk of a 16-team playoff. Senators Tommy Tuberville and Joe Manchin are working on a bill to regulate NIL. Definitely saw that coming. And then just a couple of weeks ago, SMU Boosters are the latest to announce uh, their collective where they're going to pay football and men's basketball each $36,000 annually. A base salary. Yes, which Texas Tech did yep. something similar. Twenty five grand a player. Now SMU's come over the top, and now yep. collectives aren't just paying players. Now they're adding in base salaries. Yes. And then finally... And you touched on this briefly, and new details just were confirmed today. The Big Ten finalized this deal with Fox Sports, CBS, and NBC on a deal that's going to top $1.2 billion annually. Unbelievable. And and we're going to come back to that during our predictions because that is critical to all of this playing out to its fullest. And the SEC TV deal with ABC, ESPN here in a couple of years will probably be for similar money. Yeah, I, I really like George's comment or question this morning where he said, does that help the SEC or hurt the SEC? The Big Ten deal. Yeah, I thought that was a good question because there's no competition now. So maybe the SEC or, or ESPN, ABC says to the SEC, well, here, we're only going to offer you this much because where else are you going to go? But I do think the SEC could say, because the the world of streaming and presenting your own content on your own platform is mm-hmm. also growing at a rapid pace. Right. Uh, the fact that the NFL is going to be on Amazon now on Thursday Which nights. Which is bizarre to me. Nobody saw it coming even a year ago or right. two years ago. So I do think the SEC's recourse in that case, if the if ESPN tried to lowball them, is to say, okay, we'll do our own thing. Now what are you going to broadcast? You, you're left out of the Big Ten deal. Now, you don't have a super conference to broadcast, and ESPN would probably give in. Well, one of those two things is right. Either George is right that there's no competition, no place else to shop it, or you're right in that the streaming sources or some source we don't anticipate is going to step up and be the competition. I think there's so much money in sports that I think the second is probably going to happen, basically because of the example you just gave, which is Amazon's picking up the NFL. Right. The NFL. (laughs) Right. May, and maybe there's another TV network out there that if ESPN, you know, was wobbling in these negotiations, I don't know, Turner or the Home Shopping Network mm-hmm. or <laughs> the History Channel right. would step in and say, wow, we have a chance to to uh, put in a bid for the SEC, SEC football. Right. I, I think there's something, maybe the, a network we're missing. But, right. Uh, and it may be a very unlikely network. Nobody ever imagined Fox would get the NFL when they came into existence. That's right. But they did. We didn't think they would get golf a few years ago. Right. That was kind of revolutionary. Yes. Okay. Well, that's a lot. It, it is. It, and also, that was not a comprehensive timeline. <laughs> right. There was stuff missing in between. And like we said, there's stuff happening almost every day on this story. But at least it gets us to this point where we can have this conversation. Okay. So... The past has been fascinating, especially the recent past, but not as much as the future, because the more that evolves, I think the more fascinating the future is for this whole conversation. And so now (laughs) let's make some very specific predictions. Okay. Okay. So the Big Ten and SEC will and should continue collecting the strongest brands and programs they can across the entire sport, regardless of geography. Uh, and, and that's where you had pointed out this this could get to 20 or a number bigger than 16. Yeah, they've both, they've both talked about wanting to, well, the SEC wants to, they say, stop at 16. Big Ten wants to stop at 20. But I think they'll both get to 20. And I think you'll probably hear sooner than later 
uh, we want to stop at 24 or mm-hmm. we want to stop at 28. There is a line there where they're going to see that these other brands that they could poach aren't worth it, that they don't help the bigger picture. But I think there's still enough brands out there that would help both conferences. Not not that many left, maybe 10. Right. Uh, so I think each conference will get to at least 20, if not 24. I agree. But I think the general strategy for both of them should just be collect as many quality programs as they can. Yes. Brands, TV markets, however you define that. Yep. I don't think they need to think about basketball. This is a football conversation only. Yep. I think basketball will sort itself out. Yes. Maybe in the near, maybe in the distant future. Okay, so once both conferences are done adding their best programs where they think they've tapped into everything, grabbed everyone they can, that's going to be, like we just said, more than 32 teams. I personally think, because I think they, I think the SEC and Big Ten also see where all this is going, mm-hmm. I think they're going to kick lesser programs out. Like Vanderbilt and Rutgers yes. and yeah. Yes. Anything anything that's not a top brand as defined by football. I don't and again, this is all of these predictions always are a little bit cloudy. I don't mm-hmm. know how that happens, but we didn't know how a lot of this other stuff was gonna happen. Yeah. I think they're gonna kick people out of that to get back down to thirty two. I think you're right about that. And I, I'd have to look into the legality of that. I don't know how that works and what kind of contract. Right. I, I do know a lot of these conferences are, they've got a lot of loyalty to certain programs, like maybe the SEC with Vandy, because Vandy's been with the SEC forever. Right. But that only goes so far when you're talking money. And if Vandy's not bringing anything to the party, I think you're right. Yeah, I don't know what the vehicle is. I don't know what's going to happen, but it's going to happen. Yeah. Okay. And then I think, I think the two conferences, I don't know what words you want to use. They're either going to, I'm just going to say they're going to effectively merge and dissolve and and then the new league will be formed. Mm-hmm. I don't know what that looks like. I don't think it'll be as simple as the Big Ten becomes the AFC and the SEC becomes the NFC mm-hmm. because I don't think the teams are exactly going to line up right. So somehow they're going to mor- merge and dissolve. They're not going to call them SEC Big Ten and then they're going to sort it out. But the new league is going to be two conferences and it is going to have four divisions and four teams. We talked about that a long time ago. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be arranged geographically. And so this is where I want to look at what this will look like specifically. Because to me, the most important question at this point is, which 32 teams is it going to be? Mm-hmm. Because there's there's not a 40-team league. There's not a 48-team league. Leagues are 30 or 32 teams. Yeah. And if they're 30, they usually add a couple teams. You're back at 32. Mm-hmm. In sports, the magic number is 32. Pat Forty did that, that article that you guys talked about where he ranked the top 69 programs by desirability. Yep. And he had a bunch of different factors. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to take that at face value. Although I think a better, because he also included academics and all sports. I think that's irrelevant. And yeah. we, we've talked about that before and we'll touch on it a bit later. I don't think academics are irrelevant and I don't think other sports are relevant. Mm-hmm. So you could just really take those two factors out and redo all of his numbers, but let's just stick, stick with it for now. And then, and then we're going to talk about who's going to be involved here. Okay. Now, now this is where it's not such, <laughs> this is better visually than it is audibly. And we're not going to read all, all 32 teams, I don't think. Um, but what, I, what you have in front of you is his, his team's ranked by overall ranking. And then I drew a cut line. At 32. At 32. Okay. And then at the bottom, I highlighted in, in kind of pink teams that I moved up. So mm-hmm. I took his rankings, cut it off at 32, and then moved some teams around to kind of make it fit a little better. And for teams that I don't think were that strong of football programs. And so I, I moved the purple teams up and the gray teams down. Now, the one key that you'll notice is that I, I added BYU and I took out TCU. Mm-hmm. And we'll, we'll talk about why I did that later. But essentially, the list is the major programs, so we don't need to read them all. But around the cut line... The teams that didn't make it were North Carolina, Iowa State, Northwestern, NC State, Virginia, Virginia Tech, uh, TCU, Kentucky. Beyond that, I don't think... Now, Baylor's on here. They've been a pretty decent football program, but not Mm -hmm. historically. So I don't know if you notice any teams above or below that line that were notable. You know, the only one that jumps out at me below the line is Northwestern, and I wonder how important they are to the Chicago market. Oh, interesting. Does Chicago care about Northwestern football? I don't know the answer to that. I don't know either. I, I, f- I feel like it's like they're not as important to the Chicago market as Notre Dame. Like if Notre Dame oh, is in the right. mix here, right. then I think the networks feel like they have the Chicago market. 
but that one jumped out. Uh, the other ones are all in that class of debatable. Well, you can see their rankings. So yeah. I didn't. I didn't move too many teams down that would have yeah. wouldn't have made the cut anyways, based on Pat Forty's ranks. Right. I don't see anybody under that line that would would really have a strong case for being top thirty-two. Okay. Great. All right. So I I I swapped a few. I took out TC at the last minute, and now what I want to show you is my other spreadsheet, which is which is how I specifically arrange the leagues. And again, this is just like the NFL. Interesting. Uh, there's, there's, a lot, like it. there's a lot of <laughs> there's a lot of conversation to be had here for sure, but let's just get into this. So if you take everybody above the 32 plus the, the changes I made, and then if you assign those to four geographic regions, you know east, north, south, east, and west, mm-hmm. okay, then you have your divisions. It looks a lot better and probably more palatable yes. if, if you just divide into four groups of eight. And, and and I did that at first. Yep. But that's not how a league works, right? You have two conferences. It's not how the postseason works. You have to continue and divide it down to 14 divisions. That was a lot harder, but that's how I got to this point here. And then I assigned a team to either, we're just going to call it the NFC-AFC for purposes of conversation. And if you'll notice, not entirely, but it keeps most of the really important historical rivalries together. Well, I was going to say this, NFC South keeps all of the ones that are important to people around here together. Right. All those rivalries. Right. You still have OU Texas. You still have Texas. Well, you have again, Texas, Texas A&M. That's right. Yeah. This is really interesting. I think this is very well done and it does bring back into the, to the fold that regional feel that a lot of people love about college sports. Or opponents of where things are going, what they fear is that those old rivalries and the regional nature of it is going to be lost. Mm-hmm. Right. And I thought, well, maybe that's, maybe that's valid until I organized it this way. And then I thought, well, by the looks of it, that's not true. So I see that you have Arizona State in here, but not Cal. So like the, the foursome that you have, the pod, the division is Oregon State in the AFC. Oregon State, sorry, Oregon, Arizona State, Washington, and Stanford. Right. Do you think that the Cal-Stanford relationship might be enough to get Cal into this 32 and not Arizona State? Sure. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, this is the part of, of my predictions that are, that are the most up for debate or discussion or changes. I'm, I'm up for all of Which that. Which schools get I, in? I, yeah, don't, where, I don't care. Yeah. You know, right. I did it based on who has had the strongest football programs historically. Yeah. But sh- sure, if, if you think that the three California schools need to be together and or Stanford or whatever, fine. Mm-hmm. That doesn't... That doesn't hurt my feelings. I, I'm trying to maintain the regionality, the history of the, the rivalries, and the strongest programs. Gotcha. Yeah, and, and that, I think I think that I've done that here. But then the other thing that I want to point out is I did some calculations on level of difficulty. So you'll see that what I did here on, on this first page. Again, terrible for a podcast, but mm-hmm. we, could, we can maybe talk through it a bit. These numbers represent the, the difficulty of the divisions compared to each other, mm-hmm. and then also the two conferences compared to each other. If you did the same thing with, with the NFL, because people are going to say, well, gosh, there's it's kind of a wide wide range. But you, the same thing would be in the NFL. We've got some really bad divisions. I mean, look at the NFC yeah. East even recently. It's terrible. But it can be cyclical. Exactly. That's exactly right. It changes all the time. You've got money changes. You've got ownership changes. You've got personnel changes. Lots of things affect these numbers over time. Yep. This is just a snapshot if we did it right now. Right. I see one other problem that we're going to have to fix. Okay. You've got Ohio State and Michigan in different conferences. I know. I know. I, I don't think they're going to live with that. I think they need to be together. Well, and, and I was trying to decide, because I had to move Penn State um, to get them in there. You can put them anywhere. <laughs> and, and that's the thing is, is some of these programs, I don't know them as well as others. You can move them around if you want. Yeah. You, could, you could swap out Minnesota, Wisconsin. I don't care. Right. Uh, to me, the most important thing is, does it make sense geographically? I tried to get everyone in the same time zone. Yes. So th- this plays out by 2030, in your opinion? Like when this current TV deal that they just signed is up? Or do you think that the current TV deal could absorb something like this and they could figure it out? Well... Hold on to that thought, and we'll kind of sort that out here in a little bit. Okay. I wanted you to see the divisions on paper, and okay. just kind of for you to absorb that. Gotcha. But in general, I wanted to I want to run it by you and say, does this make sense to you? Is this feasible? 
Oh, this is more than feasible. I think this is the future. Okay. So, and like I mentioned before, I think collectives will become the ownership groups of the teams in the new league with future TV deals. They just made that announcement this morning. And with 1.2 billion, that's the first deal. Now, I think that was a seven-year deal. Yep. That Those numbers change and increase all the time. Mm-hmm. If you divide a 16-team conference by 1.2 billion, you get 75 million per school. Mm-hmm. Okay? Now, that that's just slightly a below. A year. Per year. Okay? <laughs> that's just slightly below Clemson, which is 25th on the list of revenue, not profit. Okay? So it doesn't it doesn't quite hit that num- those numbers. The numbers may not be big enough, but that's mm-hmm. also not their only revenue stream. Right. They've got merchandise and ticket spot- sales. T- ticket yeah. sales. So I don't know when you add that in what that gets to. The two highest revenue programs are A and M and Texas. They're at just under 150 billion in total revenue, and I don't know what their profit is. I think at one point it was reported maybe 100 million or something. Mm-hmm. That was the other thing we talked about when we had the original conversation. Is is what about the money? Like, are the schools going to give up and partner with these ownership groups? and give up their current control. And the comment was, well, if the money's big enough, yep. well, now we know it is. Mm-hmm. And if it's not at this very moment, it's going to be very soon. And the way it's split up is that the schools will get all of this money. Like the ownership groups in the new model, they may also now feast from the TV table and whatever. Yes. But like, for example, with NIL now, the schools aren't paying any of that. It's all the collectives. Right. So the school won't have that expenditure. They're just they're looking at, wow, if we enter into this deal, we're getting all of this TV revenue plus all of our other revenue, or we're splitting this TV revenue with the ownership group, but it's such a bigger piece of the pie right. that it's, I think it's going to be too much for them to turn down. Yeah, I do too. Revenue is a, is a fun number to talk about. The real number you have to talk about is profit. How, right. much, is the, how much is the school actually putting in their pocket? Mm-hmm. If you can match or exceed that number they're probably going to agree to just about anything that they yes. throw at them, right? Yep. Be- because it's a lot of hassle and problem to run a football program. So yes. if they're getting the benefits without the the admin and the hassle and, and the the just the effort of having to run the program, mm-hmm. why wouldn't you do that? And they're also funding 15 other college sports programs. And a lot of these athletic departments are operating on a really thin margin mm-hmm. or they're in debt. or And you throw this kind of money at them, it makes life easier for for all of the executives and it makes life easier for all the other sports that they're having to fund. Right. That's right. Okay. So people have asked what happens to all the other D one programs outside of the 32 in the new league? Well, you've touched on this. I touched on it uh, when we talked the last time, in my opinion, the big 12 is losing all their premier programs and they're replacing them with second tier programs. Mm hmm. And the Big 12 and the Big 10 are in the process of poaching enough programs from the Pac-12 that it probably won't survive. Mm -hmm. If those other three or four programs from the Pac-12 join the Big 10, there's only only two programs left, especially if the other programs join join the the Big 12. And I think think the Big 12 is being way more aggressive, at least from what I can tell, than the Pac-12. I think the SEC will also take all the strong programs from the ACC. So they're going to see a similar fate to the Pac-12, mm-hmm. I think, which means that the Big 12 has the s- strongest football conference left outside of the SEC and Big 10, but they don't have strong enough programs to be part of that situation. Right. They wouldn't be a mega conference. They couldn't get those kind of TV deals. Well, they're a mega, they could be a mega conference in terms of the number of programs, mm-hmm. but not the same money. But it does put the Big 12, and your mark may be thinking this way, in the perfect position to lead the way in starting the second league of 32. Yes. Right. That could be where the, that's very possible. Yes. Because based on who they're inviting and reaching out to, that already gets them close to 20. Mm -hmm. And I don't think it would, now maybe they could partner with ACC or I don't know who to get to 32, or they could just draw in the other, other dozen. I don't know how or when that's going to happen, but they're in the best position to, to lead the way on the second league, the second tier league. So it would be like the NFL is Major League Baseball. The Big Ten SEC League is the AAA, minor league, professional. And then the, whatever the Big 12 is able to form is A. And then you're just going down from there. It's like a, it's like a baseball structure with all these professional minor leagues. Yeah, and no, I don't, um, I don't but, know. But much more powerful than AAA baseball. Right. Because it's 
big time college football. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Much I, more lucrative. My original plan had four leagues because I was thinking in terms of how do you accommodate all 128. I don't think that's necessarily going to happen. I think there's just going to be two. Because there's just there's not enough TV schedule, there's not enough TV money. Yeah, other people are talking about it, and it really makes sense to me as well that there might be a, a, a top league and then a secondary league. Mm-hmm. And then you and I exchanged emails about this, but I, I added relegation to, yes. to my idea. And Nick Saban brought it up. And then Nick Saban brought it up two weeks ago. <laughs> yeah. Nick Saban, right? I mean, if Nick Saban, I don't think he just threw it out there as a. It, he said it very casually. But I don't think he necessarily meant it as a throwaway comment. Right. Because if Nick Saban and Alabama don't have a problem with the concept of relegation, then I don't know that anyone else should. Oh, and I I didn't think about it until now, but that's how you get rid of the Vanderbilts of the world, the Rutgers of the world. You introduce relegation, and they're going to finish in last place, so they're relegated down to the... Well, yeah, you could do that too. To the Big 12 or whatever, and now you have your... Your better brand coming up. I didn't think about that either. That's perfect. That way you don't have to awkwardly kick Vanderbilt out of the conference. <laughs> well, or, or you could have the conversation reverse and say, you're, you're not being kicked out. You're just being relegated to the lower league. It's mm-hmm. still a professional league. And you can, if you build yeah. your program up organically, just or if, if you win build, your way back up, you can win your ba- way back up yeah. because you guys talked about, I think yesterday, the day before the new football rankings or whatever, maybe it was this morning, but the, the problem is, is that, yeah, it was the preseason rankings and who had the historically the highest average ranking yeah. and then how they fared in the, in the playoff, whatever mm-hmm. the playoff looked like. The, the, the problem is, is that people that's, if you're at the bottom of the 25, even if you go undefeated, you may not be in the top four. Mm-hmm. But if you're in the top five, six, seven, eight, you've got a tremendous head start. Yes. There's so much inequity in that. Yeah. But in this in this structure, you literally could win a championship and start off the worst team in your league. Yep. There are no preseason rankings in the NFL. That's right. And that's what this would be. Right. That's exactly right. The rest of the teams in college football they would just be a non-professional, just like they are now. Yeah. There's really not room for, for those other teams. There's not enough money or time on television. And I've, I envision those schools, which is you know probably half of the what is now Division One, and then uh, what is now FCS. I think they'll all... That's going to be your new NCAA. Yes. The NCAA will still have a place. They will still be a governing body. But it's these 60 big schools that are going to outgrow the NCAA that already have, really. And that'll be your new NCAA. And maybe they'll play for their own championship and it'll be structured like it, like it always has been. But not a whole lot of people will be watching them. Yeah, I didn't even think about that. But I think you're right. That, that is the way that the NCAA survives Yeah, and doesn't get disbanded completely. Mm-hmm. And obviously, they govern govern all college sports, not just yeah. football. But that's what they'll have left in terms of football. Yeah. Okay. Well, as best I can tell, there's there's four phases of college football evolution. You've got the pre NIL transfer portal, which we're we're beyond. Mm-hmm. Then you've got post NIL transfer portal. Then you've got the realignment phase, where you've got sixteen to twenty plus teams, the SEC, Big Ten, Big Twelve, and then I think the fourth phase is the new league where you, you get to 32 teams, mm-hmm. like we've been talking about. I, I think I think that's the trajectory. Those are the phases that it's gone through that we've been seeing. And and I think currently, clearly, we're in the realignment phase. Yeah. I, and I, I don't know... I don't know how many steps there are between where we are now and the new league. We could speculate, but we can leave that for a future conversation, which I'm sure there's going to be plenty of justification for that. Mm-hmm. But I do think that some people are still too focused on the specifics of what's happening right at the moment. And then other people are have seen the light and they're catching up. You talk to Tom Jankovich, Dabo Sweeney, Nick Saban, uh, Jerry Brewer of the, uh, of the Washington Post, mm-hmm. clearly sees. Even Rich Eisen did a segment. I think you, I don't remember if you guys talked about that, but he did a segment on, on all of this and okay. speculated on some of this. Oh, I didn't hear that. So, so it's, it's out there and, and people are seeing where this is going. You've said that you also see where this is going, clearly. But you don't necessarily like it. Yeah. Is that still where you stand? Yeah, because, you know, from the time I was five, I've loved college football and the history and the Mm -hmm. regional aspect of it and the rivalries and all of that. And there, there is part of me that does appreciate the, even though it was always kind of a sham, the amateur angle of it. Uh, 
So I would I would love it to stay that. I'd still like it to be the Southwest Conference and the Big Eight, and you know, sure. But I've always understood that what really drives it is not necessarily the regionalism or the rivalries, or it's the money. It's TV money. It's revenue. It's it's luxury suites. It's all of that. And we've seen all of that just pick up at warp speed the last ten years. So I'm I'm a little un, you know I'm an OU fan. I'm uncomfortable about going to the SEC and maybe not playing Oklahoma State ever again. And I, I'm I'm a little uncomfortable with if we do get to the two mega conferences, which were pretty much there. And and there is this separation, and maybe they're the first group of schools to to go pro. Uh, it, it's just going to be so different from in terms of your weekly schedule, your yearly schedule. You know, you've always had a few layups, and then you've had your big games. Well, now for Oklahoma and Texas, every week there's no layups in the SEC, and you're you're losing. You're going to lose the relationships with a lot of schools in smaller conferences or down the division ladder that you used to schedule in September. And some people would argue that's a good thing. You know, I like it when we have big intersectional rivalries more often in September and we're getting those thankfully. It's just, it's, it's a weird change. I think I'll be fine with it. I think I adapt over the years when my sports change, uh, because I still like the basics and the basics will be there every Saturday. It'll be fun to watch Oklahoma and Alabama. I mean, what's not fun about that, right? Unless your team's getting driven, <laughs> which could happen in the SEC any week. But uh, I, I don't love it, but I, I've known it's coming, and I'm ready for it. I'm ready for the change, and I think it's inevitable. I think we are, without question, headed to a pro model. So I'll, I'll get my head right with it. It's not going to stop me from watching college football. Okay. Or I don't even know if we can call it college football anymore. <laughs> what do we call it? Because it's going to be it's, – it's something between college and pro. Yeah, that's a great point. I don't know. God, what would you call it? I hate, I, for this situation, I don't like the phrase minor league. Yeah, I know. For this, I don't like it. Because it doesn't – Alabama shouldn't be considered minor league. You no. Know, Michigan, it, Ohio State. Yeah, it fits for, it fits for baseball and hockey. Yeah. It doesn't fit for this, so it's got to be called something else. I'm not sure. I don't know. It's kind of like how I feel about the Live Tour and the PGA Tour, and we've talked a lot about that on our show. It's disrupting the PGA Tour, and I love golf too. It's disrupting it in a way that nobody really saw coming. And I would rather sit down and watch a golf tournament that has everybody in it, a big tournament. You know, with, I want to see Kepka and Johnson and DeChambeau and all these guys. But I'll be okay with it. However this shakes out, I'll be okay with it. And if I really want to watch those guys, okay, I'll turn on the Live Tour, but I'll probably be fine watching still a lot of great players on the PGA Tour. And I feel the same way. This this whole college landscape, it's being struck by an earthquake right now, and it's really reshaping things. But I'm going to be okay with it. Okay, well, let me try to stick the landing, if I may. Okay. You're not alone. George doesn't really like where this is going. There's plenty of tons and tons of other fans that are paying attention that don't like where this is going. But if you'll let me, I want to make one final pitch. Sure. Okay. I can be talked into anything, by the way, so go oh, right good. ahead. Well, then I, then I definitely <laughs> want to hear your, your opinions after I, after I explain this. The best I can tell, there's five groups of shareholders with a stake in college football. You've got the fans, the schools, the athletes, the league, and the networks. Mm-hmm. They can come up with some other minor groups, but those are the major ones. And then in a pro league, you've got the owners. That's a sixth shareholder group. Mm-hmm. In my opinion, a pro league creates the best possible outcome for each group of shareholders. Let me explain why. With the schools, every program will be on a level playing field, both financially and in competing for talent. And they'll see probably larger revenue than they've ever seen before. Mm-hmm. The networks will get a much better product. CBS, NBC, and Fox obviously just signed up for a mammoth deal. Yep. And that's just for the Big Ten. We'll have to wait and see what happens with the SEC. The league will be more organized and see ever-growing revenue increases. So will ownership groups. They're obviously going to make a ton of money. Look at the NFL owners. 
and this is let's, yep. let's be honest, this is football in America. No, there's not a sport that makes people more rich than football. Right. For the fans, and this is to me where it's the most important. My entire motivation for this entire idea that I came up with a few years ago as a fan of A&M mm-hmm. was that we never had a chance. One, we weren't competitive enough. But even when we got at the, the years where we were competitive and even now, we just never got to the end. We never got into the playoff. We never whatever. Yeah. And, and also the, the subjective nature of the sport. If you have a sport where there can be a measured outcome, it makes me insane for you to overlay a subjective nature to it. Yes. So for there to be voting or yes. rankings or whatever, like in, in boxing, that makes sense. In almost every other sport, if you could measure it, don't add a subjective element. I hate the subjective nature of the sport. I agree. And it's the only college sport that's ever been that way. Right. It makes no sense. No sense. So as a fan, as like AM got voted 15th. But they're a great program this year, yeah. or, or then they were fourth, and no, no, they should be twentieth, right? And then, and then that was preseason. But then by week five, they were out of the top twenty-five, mm-hmm. or whatever, or they were twenty-third, and after one loss, and they had no chance. Of, the whole ranking thing makes no sense to me. It makes me crazy. Yeah. And so, as a fan, I want to eliminate the subjective nature of the regular and the postseason. I want to get it all out of the sport completely. And, and that gives every program, every program, the best chance, an equal chance of winning a championship that year. Honestly, yeah. if you're 25th, or in this case, 32, or you're mm-hmm. first, those two teams have the same chance of winning a championship in the same season. Yeah. The only thing I would say is that over the years, I have enjoyed, especially from a talk radio perspective, right. the debate that the polls present or <laughs> right. that the college football playoff committee presents. You know, it, right. it, it, it keeps college football... Uh, top of mind in barroom arguments, talk radio, sure. newspapers, because everybody likes to debate. Oh, there's no way they should be rated ahead of them. And oh, mm-hmm. this now they've got to beat so and so and so and so just to get into the top four. It does create a lot of great conversation. It does, but is college football lacking things to debate about? Probably not. <laughs> so if you take yeah. that, that one thing right. out. And, and I would say to your point, the NFL also creates a lot of conversation mm-hmm. and they do it without rankings. Right. Right, right. Well, and best of all, the athlete will finally get compensated mm-hmm. based on what the free market dictates. Yep. And and we mentioned this the first time. They can concentrate a hundred percent on football at the appropriate time, and then education a hundred percent. There's a lot of athletes either n- not graduating with a degree or getting a useless degree. Yes. And if you can concentrate a hundred percent on football now, and then a hundred percent on your education on a real degree later to prepare mm-hmm. you for the rest of your life, because you might be, I don't know, 25 and out of football, mm-hmm. that you put your entire life into it, then you can shift, and now you've got an, uh, you can, now you can concentrate on education with that scholarship that you negotiated for, and set yourself up for the next 50 years. Right. And I, I think that's a huge advantage in this scenario. What do you think? No, I think that's a really good sales pitch. The other thing I'll add, which we talked about originally, was if you can sit down to watch the sport and in the stadium or from your your couch, it doesn't look any different to you. Mm-hmm. Oh, you have all these other benefits. What's the difference? Right. Yeah, I try to put myself in the position, being an OU fan, of every second Saturday in October, Oklahoma, mm-hmm. Texas. In 10 years, if this is the new model and they're both pro sports entities, they're that Saturday afternoon at the Cotton Bowl is still going to be a blast. Yeah, exactly. It's still going to be a lot of fun. Well, because in this group of shareholders, you're in the fan group. Yeah. And so analyze it from the fan group. And like, yeah. I don't know. It, I don't know that I'll notice a difference. And it talk about my point of conversation that current college football provides there are so many more talking points and interesting debates going forward in how this model should come about, you know, number of teams, number of divisions, all of that. But the ownership groups, the collectives, do you have one figurehead? Is it a group of owners? Mm-hmm. Uh, I love the topic of how long can these kids play at an institution like this? Do we limit it to four years? Does it, does it mean that the kids are going to stay in school or at the school, at the program longer because they're right. being paid now and they don't know where they'd be drafted or how much, how long their NFL career might be? That was one of your ob- objections most recently was, for example, the same quarterback being there for 10 years. Yeah, that's a little weird to me. But don't you think you'll get used to it? Like, for example... A Heis- I don't know. That's a good one. A Heisman Trophy winner, okay, 
He wins eight straight Heisman's. No, I don't think. I, maybe you're not eligible for the, the Heisman after. But my point is, is that or you, he'd be so good he would go to the NFL. No, my point is, is that we've seen a lot of Heisman Trophy winners flame out in the NFL. Yeah. Okay. So in this scenario, okay. So he's so uh, Baker that, Mayfield is still quarterbacking Oklahoma. Or or yeah maybe because so the Heisman more or less means he's if not the best one of the best college football players in the league yep. okay so maybe he goes and he flames out in the nfl for two or three years he can come back he's still probably one of the best players in the league or right. he's he's wise enough and the money's good enough maybe he's not making 20 million a year but maybe he's yeah. making 10 and he, he's wow. like I, I could be at the top of my game i can i can either struggle and flame out in the yeah. nfl or i can be king for my career so you could have a 35 year old quarterback at Texas A&M who's just really 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 good but not quite good enough to play in yes. the NFL and he's he is putting the career numbers out of reach at A&M <laughs> until some kid comes along who plays there till he's 40. Sure. Sure. I know that's, that's weird. You know what? That's a that's one of the most fascinating elements to this to me because do college fans like having a different quarterback every two or three years to cheer? Or would they be fine if they had a great one and he's there for 20 years? You want my opinion on that? They just want to win. Yeah. They want to go to work or yep. the bar or wherever yep. they go, and they want to brag to their, their friends You're right. that they win. You're right. After a while, you don't care. It's You're rooting for your laundry. Yeah. And you want You're to brag. You're 100% right you about that. You want to win. You want the bragging rights. Yeah. That's what the, the group of fan shareholders wants. Right now, Baker Mayfield would be coming back to quarterback Oklahoma this yeah, season. Yeah, he, he'd, be, he'd be struggling <laughs> to try to find his new home in the NFL yeah. or, might be say, or might get an offer from Oklahoma saying, we'll pay you $25 million right. for 10 years. Right. Okay. <laughs> and then he's a king again. It's so bizarre <laughs> to think about this, but we are going to have to get our head around it. I know. That might be one of that's one of my favorite parts of all of this is the possibility because it happens in baseball, right? Sure. Either they come back at the near the end of their career or they yep. don't make it. Yep. They come back and then they they thrive mm -hmm. somehow. Yeah. And it extends their career, which isn't for the, the player shareholder group. Another advantage mm -hmm. is that it extends their career and they can make real money. Real money. Do you envision the ownership groups being one guy, one figurehead, one person who is paying the freight, or do you think most of them will be the, the, kind of how the collectives are formed now or structured now? I think it's exactly the same as the NFL. In Green Bay, you've got public ownership. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you have Jerry Jones, who's mm -hmm. a single guy. Other times you've got a family or a group or a partnership. So it, it could be, be across the board. It could be yeah. any of those. Yeah. A collective is a group of rich people. Yeah. Right, and sometimes there's the richest of the of that group, or I mean, whatever. But I think any all of those are, are going to happen. And there's no question that, say, in your top 32 teams that would form this pro league, there is at least one super influ influential billionaire alum who is now donating crazy money to the collective that would step up and say, "Oh yeah, I'll be the owner." Absolutely. That that's a never-ending pipeline of money from crazy football fans who want that's their right. team to win. There's a thousand billionaires in the United States. A thousand. Think about that. <laughs> right. And you all you need is thirty-two. Yes. And they all went to college probably. And you'll have at some schools, the big ones, Texas, you'll have ten of those billionaires battling to be the guy. Mm hmm Again, I don't know how it's gonna shake out, but let's say it ends up being the school who gets to put that ownership right up for auction. Right. We keep seeing NFL franchises and other sports franchises mm -hmm. sell in the billions. Mm -hmm. How much would a would a billionaire pay for Texas? Yeah. Ten billion to be the owner of of the Texas Longhorns? Hey, if Jerry Jones lives for another thirty years and Stephen Jones gets frustrated that he is not going to inherit the Cowboys, he'll just go ask Jerry for some money and he'll go buy Arkansas and he'll yeah. he'll run the Razorbacks. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, some other person down the down the line in the Jones family. Yeah, if that's how it shook out, where the school said, "Okay, we are going to sell our the ownership rights. Mm -hmm. It's up for auction. Yeah, it's going to be in the billions. Yeah, someone's going to pay ten or twelve or fifteen billion for one of these college programs. And some schools, I guess this would be the Green Bay model. They wouldn't sell the ownership rights. Yeah, Notre Dame, I could see doing that. Great example. We're, we're yes. keeping our ownership rights. Yes. They'd be the college version of Green Bay. Yeah, that, that's perfect. Yeah, I would agree with that. But I think the numbers would be huge. 
there be you'd be able yep. to line down the block of who would pay it. Yep. Even if it didn't make money, they'd want it for the prestige. Mm-hmm. Right. Again, the bragging rights. That's how billionaires brag to each other. Yep. Yep. Uh, so maybe that's how I didn't think about it until just now, but maybe that's how it happens. And think about it. They're going to sell it for, let's say on the low end, they sell a program for $5 billion. Mm-hmm. Then they're still going to get a profit share probably close to 50 or $100 million a year. Mm-hmm. So, they, so you could set up an endowment with the sale right. in the billions. Right. And then you could use the, an, the annual uh, profit to pay for other sports or other things. On uh, the, the money train is enormous, and it will not yes. stop. Yes. The, the amount of money is endless. And it's been that way in college football forever. Yes. The, the money that they were boosters were illegally giving to players in the 60s and 70s and mm-hmm. 80s, and now they're, they can do it legally now. That's right. And the TV money has, has always been big, got really big in you know, the 80s, not, got really big in the aughts, and now is insanely big. And that's only going to keep growing. That's right. That's the one thing you can count on for sure is the money always grows. Yes. Around sports, especially football. Especially football. So if people are quibbling over the money's not big enough, yeah. just sit down for a few minutes. It's yep. going to catch up, Yep. in my opinion. The one other thing you brought up was when is this stuff going to happen? I'd love to hear your opinion. I think it's going to line up with whatever legal or TV contracts and if they can get out sooner. I think as soon as, as, soon as the Big Ten, SEC or whatever start to see a path for how to do this, mm-hmm. They'll probably do what they can to accelerate it to get it done. Yeah, my timeline, if I had to predict, I would say 2030. I would say the well, – when is the new SEC deal going to end with ESPN? It's probably around the time that this Big Ten deal ends, I think. So I, I would guess 2030, 2032, somewhere in there, whatever's remaining of the ACC and Big 12, they'll all – We'll we'll have a firmer idea of it, and by then we'll have had ten years of these two mega conferences, really establishing, uh, finalizing their membership, things like that, and then I think they'll be ready to take this next step. I think we're eight years away, something like that. So you think as quickly as it's progressed over the last eighteen to twenty four months, you th- you still think it'll take that long? I kind of think. It will because this is these are all huge steps, but this is one massive step to make it a pro league. Well, if it's beyond seven years, that means it's the end of this this brand new huge TV contract. Yeah, I think that's why I say twenty thirty because uh, the Big Ten and the SEC will be positioning themselves, maybe even have reached an agreement with each other that this is what we're going to do, and then when those deals expire, they'll know that deals worth 10 times that'll probably be waiting for them and that's when it'll all okay happen. that's what you were saying is when the the brand new contract yeah. okay yeah. I, would, I would agree with that yeah and, and there may be a way to massage the current contracts that they are signing that they just signed this week and next year with the sec but i i'm gonna guess it'll be when those deals expire well i think you'll know i think there's two things to watch one whatever tv contract the sec puts into place yeah and then i i'm what i don't know is when the two leagues are going to grab more teams on that front it's gotten quiet at the moment i think here we are in uh, middle of august i bet you if we don't have any news on that although this is a sketchy prediction to make (laughs) by like in the next two or three weeks I think then there may be a long lull. How long? Uh, till October. <laughs> Probably till the off season. Two months. Probably till the off season. <laughs> Although didn't the Texas and OU announcement come mid season or that was right before last season started, right? That yes. was like in the mm-hmm. summer. Okay. Usually these announcements seem to happen in the over yeah. the summer. Uh, yeah, I think we either get something big in the next two weeks or we don't get anything until next February, March, something like that. Yeah, maybe in the spring when the season's over, the rumors start kicking up again. Yeah. Like they, they, they're just focused on the season, the season itself. But by next summer, we're going to have to get something settled on the future of the Pac-12 and Big 12. Yeah, that yeah. W- if if not before then, but I don't know how much longer in particular the Pac-12 can kick it down the road unless, you know, we find out in the next two or three weeks that there is no Big 12 interest for the time being and in sharing this giant 
pie that they just got from the networks that they don't want to cut in Oregon and Washington and those schools. Yeah. Uh, it depends on if they subscribe to to my prediction, which is they're just going to rapidly try to snatch up as many quality programs as they can. Yeah. I think one thing that's really interesting is is how aggressive Brett Yormark is. Mm-hmm. Because Bowlesby wasn't anywhere close. He, no. he didn't have the stomach for it. No, he only reacted when he had to. He right. was never proactive. Right. Like all those schools that the Big 12 just took on board... Remember when Bowlesby did the interviewing of them and then turned all of them down? <laughs> uh-huh. Yes. And said, no, we're fine right. with our 10 schools. And mm-hmm. now they're begging for them to come back. And That's right. So I think your mark, although he's not going to be part of the 32, I think he his aggressiveness may be a huge factor in pushing this stuff forward. Because if he aggressively goes after Pac-12 teams and that's mm-hmm. successful, then you're only left with like four Pac-12 teams total. Welcome to the Pac-12 game of the week. It's once again, <laughs> Oregon State and Washington State. Right. For the seventh straight week, we present Oregon State and Washington State because that's all that's left. Yeah, so if, if they're successful at taking Arizona, Arizona State, and whatever the other two teams were that weren't Oregon, Washington, mm-hmm. then those two teams are going to go join the yeah. Big Ten, and then it's over. Yeah. So he oddly, although he's out, he's also a huge influence on, the, on what's going to happen. Yeah, for sure. And I don't think he's going to sit by. He he sh- he showed up and was really bold at media day and yep. was ready to make his mark. Yep. And so he might be the guy to watch mm-hmm. the most. And then I think the ACC guy is a little bit like Bob Bowlesby. He's just going to say brave things and let his conference get poached. Yes. <laughs> yeah, he's just going to hold on tight and hope Clemson doesn't get antsy in the next two years. Which they will. Yeah. Of course they will. There's no doubt they will. Yeah. Okay. All right, well, before we wrap up, just a quick quick note on college basketball because we touched on that. I just think that they're going to watch college football successfully navigate this, and they're going to do the same thing. Yeah. However, the interesting thing about college basketball that's different is they already have 64 teams involved. Mm-hmm. They already have a structure that accommodates 64 schools. So they'll they'll reap all of the benefits that we've discussed regarding the players and all the groups of shareholders except it'll be available to 64 teams because the the NCAA tournament is so popular and has so much money attached to it mm-hmm. that there's no reason to not move forward with that structure. Yeah. Now, now may, maybe that breaks up and I, I think it's less likely because of the success of their postseason that they go to a 32 team structure. Yeah. I don't think they have to. I think there's tons and tons of money. They leave it exactly the way it is. That creates far less heartburn for fans and schools and everybody involved, but they are going to go to this this profit pro model. The only hiccup I see there is that the NCAA tournament thrives in part because of the Cinderella story, the underdog, the tiny school, way more than college football does. We like a college football upset when Kansas beats Texas, but right. but what really drives college football are the big boys playing the big boys. But the NCAA basketball tournament, so many people love, you know, when Dayton gets in there and beats somebody. Right. right. And you would be cutting all of that out. Again, we'd adapt. Right. If it's just 64 of the biggest schools, we'd figure it out. But I think people would miss that. I agree. And that I haven't spent any time. I spent two minutes thinking about college yeah. basketball, but I just thought there's a similar. Yeah. They're going to address this as well. They so will. I don't have, I haven't thought through all the details. But I do think that there's a good chance that they will break off, form mm. their own league of divisions, but their postseason will be some version of the current 64-team tournament. Yeah. Yeah. And, and even in the, the way you do it is there is an NIT, right? Right. And you could do relegation there. Yep. My goal, again, is to eliminate the subjective nature. I want yeah. people to be in the tournament based on wins and losses or some sort of measurable statistic. Yeah. So if they achieve that... I'm fine. I don't care how else it's Not done. some committees sitting around thinking about who they think should be in. Yeah, I can't stand it. Yeah. It, it, but, but I mean, <laughs> in college basketball, you have the major tournament, and then you've got the NIT tournament. How many? Is it 64 teams also, or is it smaller? I think it's smaller. Whatever. I think it's half. I think it may be 32. Okay, so now you've got 96 teams yeah. that you're involved in the postseason. Mm-hmm. Who's beyond the 96? Right. Again, that part of the conversation. Right. I think that's how that... If I can make a bold prediction about college basketball, I think that's how that's going to get sorted out. Okay, well, 
Thanks so much again. Yeah, my a, pleasure. A we'll, fascinating conversation. We'll probably need to do this again in a week because things <laughs> yeah. will change so much. I'll see you next Tuesday. <laughs> no, I, I think may, maybe, I mean, who knows, we'll just stay in touch about it, yeah. obviously. But It's uh, fascinating. I was thinking about that. Maybe the next logical time to, maybe this time next year, maybe we, we meet annually. Yeah. Uh, but certainly as as uh, rumors start of them leaving the NCAA and the actual new league forming of however many teams, that's definitely when we have to, to sit down, if not sooner. For sure. Great. All right. Well, thanks so much. Okay. Well, that's all we have for you today on this edition of Armchair Radio. Tune in next week for more. Some brief credits before we go. Find us on Twitter by searching at Team Armchair. The number for the hotline is 405-785-0355. If you like the show, tell your friends and please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Armchair Radio is a proud member of the Podfix Network. For more information, go to podfixnetwork.com or search at Podfix on Twitter. Thank you to our friend Phil Rude for our custom logo. For my very special guest, Craig Jr. Miller, I'm your co-host Toph. You've been listening to Armchair Radio, a Gravity Beard production. Okay, thanks for sticking around. Here are the details on how I arranged the conferences and divisions in the new league. And for purposes of discussion, I'm just going to call the conferences the AFC and NFC. So, in the NFC East, I've got Alabama, Auburn, Miami, and Tennessee. In the NFC North, Ohio State, Notre Dame, Wisconsin, and Minnesota. NFC South, Texas A&M, Oklahoma, Texas, and Arkansas. And in the NFC West, Utah, USC, UCLA, and BYU. Then over in the AFC, in the East, I've got Georgia, Clemson, Florida, and Florida State. In the AFC North, Penn State, Iowa, Michigan, and Michigan State. In the AFC South, Oklahoma State, LSU, Mississippi, and Nebraska. And in the AFC West, Oregon, Arizona State, Washington, and Stanford. Now, footnote on this, I didn't spend a ton of time on it, and I have no problem if anyone thinks some of the teams should be moved around. I based it on geography, time zones, and I tried to maintain as many historical rivalries as possible. I also wanted to be sure to lay it out as a 32-team league with two conferences with four divisions each of four teams in each division. More than anything, I just wanted to get something on the record to see how close I got when it all shakes out. So there you go. Thanks for listening.